Hello. No. Hello. 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 I'm Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo, and I'm here once again with my dear wife Sanya. Hello. No. So, Hello. Uh, Hello. No. Well, no. Actually, cut that. I don't like that. You, oh, it's too late now. No. It's don't. Staying. It annoys me. He's staying. This has become our intro now. He's finding different ways to say hello. Yeah, got to keep it, keep it <laughs> interesting. Because this is fascinating for the listeners at home. So welcome back to Beampod. If this is your first Beampod, welcome. Not back, just welcome. This week, we're going to talk about fish. I know we've talked about fish a lot. And we've moved into the H era, but it doesn't seem right to not at least cover Fish's first solo album, given that it very much came off the back of him leaving Marillion. Uh, And I think we're probably going to talk a little bit about what came after his first solo album. And right up to the present day, because it is a bit of a roller coaster. We may at some point in the future, when we've run out of Marillion albums and Marillion things to talk about, get into Fish's solo albums in chronological order. But for now, this will be our final word on Fish. Sorry, Fish. Our final swim with Fish. Very good. Yeah, you you could be a, 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 any journalist from the last 30 years writing an article about Marillion. You got any more? Got any more Fish puns? No. <laughs> that's all that's all for you know me. what's happened now I've, I've opened up the floodgates and now my brain is going oh okay fish uh, right. <laughs> for god's sakes fish for i just thought that at least beforehand yeah too late now a frolic <laughs> with the finless fish finless that makes him sound like he's spineless so that's yeah, yeah that's not nice is it uh a view to but he a, doesn't have fins. He's a human. Well, that's true. So he is a finless a fish. fish. A view to a gill. A gill? What? Fish have gills. It's how oh, they breathe. Vig gill in the in the wilderness of mirrors. Very good. They should have called. He should have called his first solo album "Fish Gill in the Wilderness of Some Fish That Sounds Like Mirror." Wales. Fish gill in the wilderness of Wales. <laughs> wildness. Wi- wilderness. Fish gills of... in the wilderness of. What fish sounds like mirrors? <laughs> Silence I'm... for the, another 40 minutes. Yeah, you're listening to the Puncast. <laughs> Just silence while we think. <laughs> no, we're gonna get there. I might trim some of this down. The vi- no fish gill, fish gill in, in the, the wilderness. Fish gill fin the <laughs> fish gill fin the wilderness of fish fish gill fin the wilded Loch Ness. <laughs> oh yeah, we should include freshwater fish as well. Yeah, wilderness. The Wilderness <laughs> of, of the M word is the hardest. Loch Ness of monsters. Manta ray. No, yeah. it's too long. I'm I'm just gonna have a look. <laughs> Gone completely off the rails. Fishgill in Fishgill in the Wilderness. No, Wildenochlet. <laughs> Fishgill in the Wilderloch Ness of. Fish gill in the wilder Loch Ness of mackerels. I, mean, I might have one. 
Right, okay. Fish gills, fin, the wilder Loch Ness of mussels. The monkfish. Wow. <laughs> it can be about seaweed as well. It doesn't have to be about fish. I never said it could. But I can't think of a seaweed that starts with M. Fish gill, fin, the, the wilder Loch Ness of, of rivers. Wakame. Wakame? What it's a hell? type of seaweed. Atlantic wakame. I mean, it doesn't. Fish gale, fish gill in the. Fish gill fin the wilderness the of the seafood market. What? I can't believe we're doing this. Let's right. move on. Yeah. I forgot even what I was saying. Fish's first solo dances outside of Meridian were a single called Shortcut to Somewhere, which he released with Tony Banks, the keyboard player from Genesis. Ah. Which actually I really liked. I bought it at the time. It did terribly. I think it was, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I think it barely charted. Quite a good video with the two of them riding bicycles. Because apparently uh, Fish had written, he was told, he asked Tony Banks what it's going to be about. Because this, he was doing, it was for a soundtrack for a film called Quicksilver. And Tony Banks had said to Fish, oh, it's about bikes. So Fish wrote this song about motorbikes. And Tony Banks got the lyrics back off Fish and he went, no, 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 bicycles. <laughs> so Fish had to rewrite it. Oh. Um, interestingly, that song mentions Skyline Drifter, which, if you remember, was a pre-Fish song in Marillion's set list. Uh, and what's the matter? You well, don't I don't remember, remember that. that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think they uh, have sometimes billed themselves as Skyline Drifters for fan club shows when they wanted them to be secret and stuff as well. So, oh, really? But it was the, yeah, Fish actually used the, the phrase. Oh. So um, Fish played his final gig with Marillion in July 1988. He'd actually appeared in June 88 with Mark Kelly playing Kaylee at Wembley Stadium for the Nelson Mandela tribute concert. Oh, wow. Midyear, co-writer of Do They Know It's Christmas on guitar, and Phil Collins on drums. Wow, what a group. What a group. What a super group. So yeah, Phil Collins has played uh, a, a Meridian song. <laughs> which interestingly... That's cool. Which interestingly, that's not the only time that, that um, Phil Collins has even sung Fish lyrics because Fish uh, went on to do some other solo stuff with Tony Banks. And Genesis at one of their shows or one of their tours did uh, played a snippet of one of the songs that Fish co-wrote with Tony Banks and Phil Collins sung it. How about that? Ooh. How about that? So no matter what they did, they couldn't escape Genesis. And then they split up and then Fish had to find someone to write an album with. He obviously already had some words, which he'd, um, which we've heard on the demos that, that came on the special edition of Clutching at Straws. Now, Fish had started, had moved up to Scotland, by the way, and with Tamara. And I think uh, he got friendly with a guy called Mickey Simmons, who was a keyboard player who had played keyboards for Mike Oldfield on tour. And Mickey Simmons His became... His name's really familiar. Well, I'll tell you why it's familiar. Because do you remember when we went to see Fish the fish convention um in Leamington Spa. Yes. And um a really tall six foot five guy with long black hair wearing all white came on stage and you thought it was Steve Hogarth. 
That was Mickey Simmons. Do you remember that? Yeah. Sanya is literally hiding her head in her hands. We were right at the back. I mean, <laughs> well, give yeah, me a break. Yeah. Okay, this guy was the same height as Fish, which Steve Hogarth, I think it's fair to say, isn't. This guy walks out and like, so she's like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was excited because it was we're like... witnessing history. I was excited because he hadn't been on stage with Mickey Simmons in, in decades. Right. So and I was excited about that. So you were excited that. and I thought you were excited because H had secretly come to the gig yeah. to join in. I mean, at most, I could have seen a member of Meridian come on stage with Fish for old time's sake. Do you know what though? Probably wouldn't have been H. <laughs> well, that's why I was so shocked and surprised. At this man who wasn't Steve Hogarth coming hey, we on stage. Were, we were really far away from the stage. <laughs> it was it was basically a blur. Yeah. So that's where you know the name Mickey Simmons from. Okay. I was like, no, that's not Steve Hogarth, dear. That's that's <laughs> oh, Mickey <no>. Simmons. <laughs> I'm not the best at recognizing faces. Yeah. So they started to write the album because Fish was still on AMI at this point. He was in a slightly tricky situation where he was signed to the same label as Marillion, though his contract, he had a specific contract that was something like a leaving members contract or something. I can't remember what it was called. I've written it down somewhere, but it was a specific type of contract that was kind of restrictive, which is why he didn't really get a say when EMI said, no, we're putting the Marillion album out first and holding oh, yours back. So people, like members of bands who leave have to get a completely new contract with the record label and it's a different kind of contract. Well, hang on, no. I mean, I don't, look, I'm not I'm not an expert. What I gather from what I've read is that I think that, I don't know, it's something that was like in the original contract. Oh, it was a clause in the original contract. Like if you like leave, that. then yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yes, dot, dot, dot. Oh, so he was still part of the Marillion organisation officially, which is why he sought to kind of shut down their recording of Season's End and the like. I mean, it was very, very bitter. He tried to shut down the actual recording of the album? Yeah. Okay, I hadn't fully understood that. Well, he... Because, see, Marillion, as a unit or as a company, owned a whole load of equipment and Fish probably rightly claimed that he owned some of that. Yeah, that bit I got, but I didn't think he would... Oh, so he wasn't actually trying trying to stop them recording oh. an album. He was just wanting the equipment. I don't really know what the deal was because I've heard different versions of what the lawsuits were about. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he did have to go to court and there were lawyers' letters that turned up when Meridian were recording. But it got nasty. I mean, importantly, they were friends again now. Yes. Let's not rake over old muck. That's right. Or even fresh muck. Just cover that muck with leaves and tell people not to step in it. Yeah. So uh, Fish had to had to assemble a band. It was Marillion only had to find one guy. Fish had to find a bunch. Mm. Uh, and he had to find a producer, which I think, I think he asked Chris Kimsey, who had done Misplaced Childhood and Clutching at Straws. Chris Kimsey ended up doing Fish's second album even though he'd been asked by Marillion to do their second album without Fish, which was Holidays in Eden. There's a whole story of that we'll get into. Okay. They did produ- he did produce some stuff on a Marillion Greatest Hits. Again, we'll worry about that down the road. So Fish, given that EMI really held all the cards at this point, wasn't able 
to put the album out and he didn't want to lose momentum because obviously it would have been by the time the album was going to come out in January 1990 it would have been almost three years something like that from when Clutching at Straws had last been out so he was keen to let people know that he still existed so he did a show in Lockerbie where the Lockerbie disaster had happened uh, and I think it might have been for charity and he assembled a band that included I believe Mark Bazicki from Big Country uh, Frank Usher um, John Keeble from Spandau Ballet some Janet, guy yeah some guy Janet Gers, who ended up being an Iron Maiden and and Pete Travis's childhood best friend Robin Bolt which <laughs> I still find bizarre that Robin Bolt was mates with Fish and Pete Rivaris, whereas at that point, those two were absolute loggerheads. Oh, that, that was an, must have been an awkward position for him to be in. Yeah, I know. I bet he got it, he got oh, it from both yeah. sides. So Fish apparently was terrified at the start of that show, but by the end of it, he was satisfied that the new songs that he played were going to go down fine. And he played, obviously, some Marillion songs including, I think, Fugazi, which Marillion was certainly not going to be doing ever again, um, at least not with H on vocals. And I think Fish then toured, because the album got finished in August, so he still had, I don't know, what was that, five months until the album was going to come out. And I'm pretty sure I saw him that autumn on tour. And this gets back to what we were saying about in a previous episode about how for some reason I wasn't in a hurry to see Marillion on the season's end tour but I hadn't even heard the Fish album and I was ready to go and see Fish live well now we know where your loyalties lied at the time laid lied? laid laid lured <laughs> were were yes we do uh, yeah because the, the, you know Fish at that point I still I guess thought Fish was Marillion to some degree even though I wasn't throwing away my loyalty to Marillion, the rest of the band that he'd been in. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I wanted to, live, certainly, I wanted to see Fish. I didn't want to give up seeing Fish because Marillion, other than the two front men they've had, they are, and I don't mean this in a rude way, they're kind of anonymous on stage. Yeah, you might get Pete running back and forth a bit, and the spotlight might be shone on Rothers for a solo, but they're not very showy. <laughs> they're not showmen in the way that both Fish and H have been. And because I wasn't perhaps sold by H's prancing on top of the pops. Mm. I wonder if you ever would have gotten into Marillion, considering you love the music, mm. would you would you ever have gotten into Marillion had they had Fish not been the front man? Well, if fish, had they had yeah. a different front man, well, it or depends had who it H was. been with them from the beginning, Dep- again, it depends on depends on the singles and stuff. Because I love the music Marillion do, but that's an impossible question to answer because it it didn't happen that way. And yeah, fish at that time in my life, as we've established when we were talking about those albums, he was. And I, I mean, he, with everything that he brought, which includes sort of Mark Wilkinson and the concepts and the wordiness and the, all of that, that was what I loved in those early days. And H wasn't conceptual in that way. He certainly isn't, I don't know. He, there's something that's slightly more accessible about H than Fish in terms of, 
And I don't mean necessarily in a pop starry kind of way. I mean, just I could imagine sitting down the pub with H and having a drink or something or just having a conversation with yes. H. Whereas Fish, there's something he's... I don't know. I'm, he's I'm a bit removed. To... I could, yeah, I could see H being easier to sit and chat with, whereas Fish, there might be not a barrier there, but mm. I could see Fish talking to someone, whereas with H, I can see more, maybe more of a back and forth. Yeah, I don't Fish, know. Is that that's probably is that all right to say? Well, well, you've said it now. Um, and that's just my imagination, <laughs> so I could be wrong. Yeah, it's all about perception at the end of the day. All yeah. of this is. And again, it it was about perception when it came to what I thought of Marillion with Steve Hogarth. As it turns out, my perceptions were wrong. I had nothing to worry about. But in terms of how I perceived them to be at that point, yeah, I was concerned. And how I perceived Fish was he was carrying the spirit of Marillion as it had been, that he would... He would carry that torch forwards mm. yes so i went to see him live and it was great it was like seeing a meridian gig with some new songs thrown in and i remember i hope i'm not mixing this up with a later gig but it started i think with vigil the song vigil which if you know how that goes with that soft keyboard at the beginning and there was on stage there was a screen on stage and fish why are you laughing? I'm sorry. No, that's my, the troll in my brain. What do you want to say? No, you said vigil and the troll in my brain was saying fishgill. Very good. <laughs> yes, fishgill. The song fishgill. So there's a screen on stage and it was backlit and you saw fish, his shadow on the screen, start singing the song. Uh, and then so we're all like transfixed on fish's silhouette on mm. the screen. And then there's like a commotion from behind you. Look. Fish has walked in from the back of the room. Oh, and cool. it wasn't Fish. <laughs> it was Yannick. Um, no, Yatta is, I think he's road manager guy. Um, and Fish walked through the audience when he's doing that first opening bit up to that. And I listened to the crowd and then. Oh, awesome. So he still had that theatrical. Yeah. With thing the going thing that on. a lot, most people loved. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of came away from that thinking once again, yeah. Yep. He's got it in the bag here. So the first single came out in October 89. And I, I'm pretty sure I, I... I don't remember when I first heard it. I know I'd heard it before I bought the single. Um, State of Mind. Yes. Also the, almost the title of a Meridian song. Well, what's... Hang on. What's the title? Of, I thought the Meridian song was called State of a Mind. A State of Mind. Oh. <laughs> well, look, if I say it's the same, someone's yeah. going to go... <laughs> yeah. No, I, I only knew that song as State of Mind. That's why I was yeah. confused. I didn't know that it had an A. So I'd heard it because... And I, my God, I loved it. I loved it as opposed to the reaction I had to Hooks in You, which oh, was very reserved. Yeah. I loved State of Mind. It sounded like Marillion-y enough, but also experimented with some new sounds, like that sort of kind of almost Spanish guitar that's in there. And I went and bought it the day it came out in our price once again. And as, because I always got there early before they'd even put the record out. When of I was course buying you did. My... <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, so I went in there uh, and there was a girl in there who was also getting it. 
we were both waiting for them to go out the back and get it out the box. Aww. And she said to me, have you heard it? And I was blown away because it was like, what? A girl who likes, <laughs> who likes the new Fish single? She was going, it's amazing, isn't it? Aww. And I was like, yeah, it is. So I was just weirded out because at that point, I've never known of any girls who actually like Fish or Marillion. Yeah, it was all the boys at school. So basically, let's recap on your first impressions of both Marillion and Fish. So with Marillion, you weren't too thrilled with Hooks in You and you weren't too thrilled with the first photos that came out. So you were kind of like, "Mm, I'll just hang in there and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Fish, you had a great experience at the first gig. Yeah. He still had his theatricality. The new songs are great. He was still playing old songs. What more could you ask for? And, and then and yeah. the State of Mind cover, yes, which was by Mark Wilkinson, was beautiful. I need to see it. Okay. And, th- and then, secondly, you loved the single that came out. Yeah. So... It looks like yeah. I'd like by this point Seasons End had come out, and I, as, you, as we know, I really like Seasons End. But I thought if the rest of the Fish album is as good as State, as State of Mind, this really is the best of both worlds. Like you were saying previously with Genesis and Phil Collins. Yeah, but not so even. Yeah, but just you know, I've got now I've got two Marillion type acts, <laughs> one of which is literally Marillion that I can now love. Is this the cover? Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Oh, you don't mind that one? No, I don't mind that one. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good. Well done. Well done, Mark Wilkinson. Well done, fella. <laughs> but if you remember up until this point, there'd been this weird... I, I, I mentioned it in a previous episode, how I had a mate who had a copy of the album, a demo of the album. Wait, hang on, which album are we talking Vigilant about? Vision in the Wilderness of Mirrors. Yes, and you been. didn't want to listen to yeah. it. Yeah, but seeing him live and sit here in the single that was it i was back on board your love was reignited yes yes all the the slight no man's land i'd existed in since they split it was all you know seasons end had been a good album Dewey was still slightly out on h i still wasn't in a hurry to that's actually i was gonna say i wasn't in a hurry to see them live that's not strictly true because I tried to get tickets for the seasons end tour when they played the london astoria but i'd left it too late and it was sold out Ah. Uh. Yeah. Fiddle in the world, Mr. Mirrors. Yes. The album. Yes. Can you remember where I was when I first bought it? Uh, our price. I think I might have got it from, uh, well, I don't know if I should tell this story on the podcast. <laughs> Just tell it and then you can edit it out if it's It was the end of the month. I had no money. When it came out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. Right. It's just funny that the fact that you don't want to tell it the story because of that. No, that's not why. Oh. Uh, I had to ask my then girlfriend, Aww. can I borrow some money to buy the new fish out? And she didn't want to be an argument. <laughs> And I had to kind of like, you, come on, you know what this means to me. Oh, no. You know how important this is to me. Yeah. You'd lend me the money, wouldn't you? I would, absolutely. Yeah. I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, 
So, that, so I listened to the album. Uh, I remember where I was sitting when I listened to it. I was giving her a commentary because I and she wasn't interested because she was pissed off with me. <laughs> I don't know why that's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. You, I know exactly why you're finding it hilarious. Uh, it's why? Not my ex. Yeah, so? I find it more hilarious that you'd had an argument because you wanted to buy the uh, <laughs> new album <laughs> and then that wasn't enough to put you off. You were also going to give a commentary on it. Yeah. I think she only let me listen to it once as well. She's like, oh, turn off, I've heard it. Uh, I've heard it once already. <laughs> Again. Oh. So, um, I don't know. Where do we begin? Well, the title. We're not going to go... Well, hang on. You didn't say where you were when you listened to it. Oh, well, I was living at my mum still. Oh, okay. I believe I was sitting in the chair that is generally regarded to be my mum's chair. <gasps> you sat in your mum's chair. Yeah, well, she wasn't in. Ah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> then that is allowed. Yeah, thank you. That's <laughs> very kind. So, I love the artwork, mm-hmm. which was probably Mark Wilkinson's most intricate art to date. There were some references to the past, including Skyline Drifters again, which was some graffiti on a bin, I think, of a wall. There was Mark Kelly and Marillion's manager, John Arneson, on the cover with knives. Don't bother looking it up on your phone because you'll never get a version that's high-res enough to see all this. There was a lot going on on the cover, but it depicted a hill of shit surrounded by a pile of kind of consumerist crap mm. with a couple on the top of it, above it all, looking out over a landscape of rivers of blood and fighter jets and urban decay and the like. All very Fugazi. Mm. Uh, and the term vigil in the wilderness of mirrors came from, um, in Fish's words, came from the CIA for a period in the 50s where there were so many Russian defectors that the Russians became worried. They started sending all these people out with misinformation. They would come out and say they wanted to defect and give all this rubbish across. The CIA called it a wilderness of mirrors because they never knew who they could trust. Once again, Fish reads a lot. Yes, it does. <laughs> does he ever. Um, the album was produced by a guy called John Kelly who had done Kate Bush. Nice. Chris Rear, brother of Die. <laughs> so very nice and the band Deacon Blue <laughs> you like the Chris well, Rear joke from like being serious and talking about Russian spies and then start bringing up Chris Rear's brother Die uh, <laughs> Dyer Die 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 Rear oh. yeah yeah well whatever <laughs> poor listeners <laughs> Look, if they've stuck with us this long, they know what they're getting now. If they're new to this, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Just get used to it. Don't get over it. You get used to it. It got to... What number would you think it got to in the charts? Mm. Marillion's Let season... Me, so tell no, me again when, season's, what, season's End got end? to number seven. Season's End got to number seven. But it had been three years. No, Marillion, no, it had been about two years for Marillion. No, for Fish, I'm talking. It wasn't three years in the end. It was a, it was just over two, really. Two and a half, a bit half almost. Number 10? No, number five. Ooh. It did better than Marillion. That's good going. Yeah, it did better than Season's End. Despite the fact that, that um, State of Mind, I think, only got to... Um, Number 32, because it didn't get any radio play. 
not? Because <laughs> it started, started with the line, I don't trust the government. <laughs> <laughs> oh, way to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. And then Fish didn't get any radio play for the second single, Big Wedge, because it's it was perceived as anti-American. Oh, dear. Um, and then his single from his next album, Internal Exile, yeah. um, which was a call for um, S- Scottish independence, didn't get any bl- oh, plays. Oh, no. Because... <laughs> He's too controversial. <laughs> so, yeah, all these things sort of slightly counted against oh, no. him having a solo career. But the album did well. You yeah. know, that's pretty good. And it, it's a lush album. I mean, it, it sounds, it's very 80s sounding, but yes. it's... It's a good sounding album, it is, and it's yeah. it's got orchestras on there, and it, it you know lots of strings and some what you believe are bagpipes, which they might be. So, yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't be. <laughs> no, it's just because before we started recording, you asked me those, those bagpipes. No, I because I I couldn't remember. I'd written down I love the bagpipes in Vigil, and then I was like, actually. Thinking back, I can't remember where I heard them. So I was checking with you that there were bagpipes in it. Mm. Bagpipes. Not bagpies. Bag a pipe. Mm. Mm. I was going to say something. Can't remember. That'd be good for a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think overall it's like a more melodic album than his previous albums with Marillion. Would you you agree with that? It seems more, I wouldn't say necessarily melodic. Well, yeah, it, it is like melodic. Singing wise, it feels more. It feels quite song based. Yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Rather absolutely than absolutely more song based than music based. Yeah, and what what I mean by that is that that and it was on clutching as well, but also on uh, misplaced. Obviously, there's there's less of that atmosphere type mm-hmm. stuff. It, it's it's yeah. exactly what you expect to a degree from a solo album from Fish, which once again, as he said. He's a writer who sings, not a singer who writes. Mm-hmm. It, it puts him front and centre. Yeah. There's not a lot of instrumental passages, shall we say, in there. But it also sounds not a million miles from Marillion. If this had come out, and I didn't know that there'd been a split, if this had come out with Marillion's logo on there, I'd have said, that's a good Marillion album. Really? Yeah. You wouldn't have noticed? I'm not sure I would. I would have thought perhaps Brothers has changed his guitar sound a bit, but then... He had done already over the course of several albums. So you would have thought maybe they were experimenting with a different sound. Well, I don't think it is that different. I think there is certainly a track like Vigil, which is probably the proggiest thing on there. It starts with that that slow keyboard texture at the beginning. That's a very marillion way to start an album, you know, with a slow build that then kicks in. Mm. Okay. It's got ballads on there, you know, Gentleman's Excuse Me, Cliché, Certainly, lyrically, of an ilk with something like Kaylee and Lavender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So he's dealing with topics in the song View from the Hill and Vigil that aren't a million miles away from things like Fugazi. So it, it feels like a continuation. And can I just say before we move on, I love Fish's logo. His, his, I do love that. Yeah. That's an awesome logo. Which I believe was designed by Mark Wilkinson. Okay. Listen. Well, give credit where credit's due. That is an awesome logo. Yeah. It is an awesome logo. See, I even like that. Mm. Everything was good. It's like, oh, it looks like Marillion, but it says fish. <laughs> <laughs> Which you would hope. Yes. At the very least. What, what do you, uh, what do you, what, what sort of concepts do you have in mind for this logo fish? Well, I wanted to say fish. <laughs> 
got it. Here you go. Here you go. About this. Love it. It says fish. That's everything I could have wanted. Perfect. I've done it in Comic Sans. <laughs> I might go Photoshop all the fish albums with a Comic Sans version of his. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so you think it's more melodic, which, um, I yeah. yeah, I would say it's it kind of, but I think it's more, just, I think it's just very I mean, strongly what, um, song-based. What I mean is, I think his singing is more melodic. Right, that's interesting. Why, you don't agree? Well, why don't you tell the listeners at home what you said to me about his singing earlier? Off, off, I'm off saying, mic. no, it had nothing to do with the fact that the songs... The singing in the songs had a melody to it more mm. than perhaps like a softer melody. As opposed to the like, yeah, attack that yes, he sometimes has exactly, on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. In I fact, think, I think mm. overall it sounded to me, you know how we were saying that Rothers had felt like a weight had lifted when yeah. they split. It felt to me energetically like Fish had a weight mm. off his shoulders. The whole album seemed energetically to feel lighter well i think he's certainly singing in a register that is more suited to his voice some of those meridian albums with the ridiculous high pitch yeah so maybe John it Anderson could be thing. that but oh, and it could be also like the the two slower ballads they're not you said like they're similar to lavender and kaylee but i found i found them like even softer than that oh gentlemen's excuse me it's yeah without a doubt that's just like the gentlest song that he's ever ever done up to that point yeah but but uh there is on there there's a kind of a mix of styles because you've got the folky element which hadn't been there necessarily in meridian what is interesting about here's the thing about meridian right even before fish joined they had a demo track called scott's porridge which was kind of a scottish jig yeah they sometimes played and yeah they hadn't didn't have any Scottish members in the band at that point. Oh, it was foreshadowing. Yeah, and then they uh, they did the song Margaret, which was a live favourite. Often used to finish their gigs before they had Mr. Uh, Market Square Heroes, uh, and that was you know a version of um, you take the high road and I'll take the low road. Yeah, I know you haven't heard it because it only exists as a live version. Perhaps you should hear it. Anyway, uh, so uh, so they always seem to have this sort of slightly Scottish element in there, and I don't yeah. know even yeah, anyway. But the the folky stuff is is Fish rediscovering his roots, which he said he did around that time, because he also as well it's not on this album, but the song Internal Exile was written for this album because he used to play it live. He used to finish his his gigs with Internal Exile long before the Internal Exile album came out, which I told you this, didn't I? That it was Internal Exile, the song, was born out of a jam in the studio. Oh, yeah. Around old MacDonald had a farm. Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. You cannot unhear it. Yeah. (laughs) It's ruined it for me. Such a great song, though. I do do love Internal Exile. Yeah, it's a cracker. Nice upbeat song. That definitely has bagpipes on it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them in the video, so... Yes, we watched the video. Yes. Lots of cool dancing. Lots of cool dancing. That's the definition of cool. Mm-hmm. That kind of dancing. So we're not going to go into massive detail about each of the tracks, as this is really just a bonus yes. episode of a Marillion podcast. Yes. 
Um, but we'll just we'll we'll just run through the visual tracks. So the title track visual, which opens with that slightly Marillion esque sound. So for me, it's a I think it's a lovely song. I think it's a great way to open the album, and it as a statement of intent, it feels like it's saying business as usual. Yes. And that I think was what I needed at that point. Yeah, it was kind of like a smooth transition from. Clutching at straws, previous Meridian albums, yeah, individual. It wasn't like a a, a jarring jolt. No, in difference. much the same way as on Seasons End, King of Sunset's Town is familiar enough to not scare the horses. Eases you in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I like Vigil. I thought it was very upbeat, and I loved the bagpipes on it, or whatever instrument <laughs> they are that you couldn't tell me it's not what like I they were. Tell you. You said they were some form of Scottish sounding instrument. Yeah. Could be, I don't know. Ulilean pipes. Ulilean pipes? I don't know how it's pronounced. pipes. I've never heard of them. Pipes. What is going on? So I think it's, yeah. I mean, it's got some nice jangly guitar that's not a million miles away from others, but it's got that folkiness again, which yeah. gave it a really, it gives the album its own identity as well. Yeah, and it grounds it. Yeah. And this album, even though it's got some rocky edges in places, for me, it never goes full hooks in you, <laughs> shall we say. Nothing is too extremely out there. Mm. True. Yeah. But Vigil, I think it, it in terms of what it's about, it's, I think it's powerlessness in the face of the powerful. I think it's Fugazi territory again, don't you think? Yeah. I I haven't looked at the lyrics because I didn't think we were doing a full podcast. No, we're not. I thought we were just... Um, uh, it I meant- thought, <laughs> and I did say, Paul, should I look at the lyrics? And you said, no. No, no well, don't bother. We're just going to whiz through it. I'll just tell you what I'm about. Mentions The Hill, which is, although it's not a concept album, it seems to be his preoccupation. Right. At that time. Right. This hill of consumerist crap. Oh, right. Yeah, That's he on the cover. very anti-consumerist. Yeah, he hates consumerism. He hates consumerism. Consumerism. So from there, it's on to the second single, Big Wedge. Yeah. Which you love, don't I you? I love... Okay, but I've written, don't love it, but I do love the chorus. And I thought the collet... The collus? I thought the chorus sounded really... <laughs> the sounded, it goes for It goes verse, chorus, collus. <laughs> with a question mark. <laughs> I thought the, the chorus was very Phil Collins-y of that... Yeah, what, Phil Collins-sounding music from that era. Yeah, it's it's kind of Phil Collins-esque. And it it also reminds me of a bit of of even Gabriel some of his yeah some of his si- singles from the eighties yeah but I love it another yeah. great song yeah uh, even though I didn't like the beginning yeah I don't I don't love the verses but I do love the the chorus that's like, what yeah. makes it yeah the video was all right so was the state of mind video actually which yeah they yeah. were they were a step up from Marillion's videos. great videos I know I don't oh, know I wouldn't go like- that far. They're fine in a very 80s way, but at least they look professional and competent. Well, you have to, you, you don't judge them by today's standards. You put yourself back into your 80s self. Well, they weren't stand out. None of them were like Sledgehammer or Aha's yeah, okay. Take On Me or anything like that. They were fine. They were competent. They didn't, they <laughs> okay, didn't push. Or no superbolies allowed. They, they, 
the, well, yeah, they. The, the, what did you say? You said they were brilliant. No, I said they were great. Great. Yeah, yeah brilliant. They're they're brilliant is one above great. I think. Okay, they're good videos. No, they're fine. They do the okay. job. Okay. Oh my god. All right. They're okay. They're okay as videos go. State of mind. We've covered. Yes, I, I didn't give my opinion. My opinion is. Oh, big wedge, anti-capitalist. Of course it is. Um, it's really catchy as well. That chorus. Yeah. Um, state of mind. I just wrote love. <laughs> yeah, me too. Seriously, wasn't going into any detail. It's like, yeah, love. But this again is is in similar territory to to vigil, which is what's. I'll tell you what's interesting about those three. Yeah, we've had very personal fish lyrics up until this point. <gasps> You're right. And suddenly, fish is as three songs on the go where he's looking outwards. You're right. Yes. Where's all the? And do you know what? Okay, so. I listened to, I went clutching at straws. Okay, yes, listened to a bit of the demos. Then went into Season's End, which again is not very personal at all. No. So it wasn't as big a um, contrast. It wasn't as noticeable to me that they're not personal songs. But you're so right. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. And I know clutching at straws was meant to be about a character, about like a fictional character. Yeah. But right. It, yeah, a yeah, fictional character. Exactly. It was even so it felt incredibly personal. Mm. Oh, I wonder if that was a conscious decision. Well, I know when they were recording Clashing at Straws, the band weren't overly keen on the direction the lyrics were taking. I think Fish developed the lyrics that we have heard already. Because I know that they sort of rejected Big Wedge because they felt it was anti-American and they wanted to break America. They were uncomfortable with some of his pro-independence notions on what became internal exile. Oh, so he already had Big Wedge back in the clutching at Straws days. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this, yeah, it is, in, yeah, that thing that we've we've touched on in an early episode about how, how long does Fish hang on to his lyrics he for? He doesn't hang on to them. They're like a Petri dish. We heard a bootleg the other day, didn't we? Which my friend John, oh, thank you, John. That was brilliant. Thank you, John. Yeah, purvey, that was awesome. Purveyor of rare bootlegs. Yeah. Um, John is now the fifth member of our podcast. Yeah. The, isn't he something like the fifth, fifth member now? <laughs> the fifth, fifth member? I don't know. What we've you, had what, loads of fifth members. What does that members. mean? No. Anyway. Uh, this bootleg, it's from 82 and it is, uh, it's, it's the show that Marillion played immediately after Diz Minute, their then bassist was fired. And I mean, literally 10 minutes before Diz was out on his ear and Fish opens the, So they played as a four piece, the one and only time Marillion have played as a four piece. They play, played as a three piece, but never as a, a four piece again. Uh, and Fish opens the gig in 1982 with... I am the assassin with blade forged from verbal eloquence, which of course we know that that yeah, phrase in that was great. slightly changed form turns up on a later album. So how would that, would, you wouldn't be able to play that as part of the podcast because of copyright laws, would you? Or would you? It's a bootleg. Do you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Not, it I'm going to is... drop it in now. I am the assassin. With a blade forged from verbal eloquence. This set, this whole set, is dedicated to a guy called William Robert Minnett, who left the band 10 minutes ago. 
This is the first time and hopefully the last time you'll see Marillion as a four-piece. Yeah, so it's really interesting that A, that these lyrics have been around for a while, but also B, that, yeah, three songs in and we've yet, we don't know currently how he's feeling about his love life <laughs> or his... How he's well, he was struggling yeah, with drinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in, in the last well, album, the previous on? album. What are you doing? What are but, you doing looking at the wider world, fish? But as I said, it feels like a weight has been lifted from him. Well, it so must maybe, have been to a degree for him to write about other stuff, yeah, it wasn't weighing on him to the degree that it had been previously, clearly. And and obviously, like before, it had been weighing, it had been weighing on him so much that he couldn't really think about anything else, yeah. And then we get to the next song, The Company, which is his big two fingers up at Marillion. <laughs> is it? It's very... Is it? Yeah. Oh, then, no, then it no gets, I need to listen to it now, again. Then it gets very personal. So this song, ironically, began life while he was in Marillion. Bob Ezrin, if you remember the former Pink Floyd producer who they asked to come and listen to their demos, and yes. he said there aren't any songs here, he suggested Fish go away and write a drinking song, which Fish attempted to do with Mark Kelly. And the, that formed the basis of what became the company. Oh. And as he sings in it, Oh, boys, would you drink to me now? Here on the hill, halfway up, halfway down. Once again, mentioning the hill. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, he's trying to get off the hill of stuff. Oh. Um, you tell me I'm drunk, then you sit back and smug a while, convinced that you're right, that I'm still, in, that you're still in command of your senses. I laugh at your superior attitude, your insincere platitudes. They make me throw up. Oh. Yeah, the sooner you realise I'm perfectly happy if I'm left to decide the company I choose. Oh, boys, would you drink to me now? Ouch. So why don't you push off? This company's my own. Although he changed the word push to something else when he sang it live. Oh, did he? I yeah. bet he did. <laughs> How did you find out that this is about Marillion? It just is. Everyone knows it is. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I can't have, tell you. I've just, known, I mean, I've just always known. I'm just, even looking I'm at it, I'm curious because I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, he even used to, <clears throat> he even used to introduce it as it's it's really it's a song about hypocrisy because it would be someone who was like off their face would be going, oh, "Mate, I'm really worried about your drinking." Right. Uh, it was pretty clear he was talking about. Oh, so, I see. Oh, boys. Oh, dear. Yeah. You buy me a drink, then you think you've got the right to crawl in my head and rifle my soul. You tell me I'm free, then you want me to compromise, to sell out my dreams. You say you'll make it worthwhile. Awkward. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, it it's a bit more, what's the word? A little bit more overt than... 15 stone first footer. <laughs> <laughs> so they were both doing it at yeah. least. Yeah, yeah. So the next track is um, uh, the third single, A Gentleman's Excuse Me, or as I've written in my notes, A Gentleman's Accuse Me. <laughs> a Gentleman's Accuse Me. Oh. Yeah, A Gentleman's Excuse Me, which is just lovely. Yeah, it's a nice song. Uh, I said it was, I thought it was. Um, because it's a proper ballad. Proper, proper ballad. Not rock ballad, just straight out ballad. And I thought, wow, that's really different for Fish. Mm. I don't think, unless I'm not remembering something, I don't think I, I've heard him sing anything quite so slow no. and melodic before. 
not there. I mean, he didn't really do it again until his final album on Welshmurts, which oh, was Garden right. of Remembrance, which is the closest he did again to a song like that. I mean, he did some other slow songs in his solo career, but yeah, nothing... but no, this is proper ballad. Mm. Um, I, I, I thought. I can imagine, because um, it reminded me of like a song playing in the background of an, an 80s rom-com or something. Well, the girl's looking out the window dreaming about her boyfriend who's off somewhere, I don't know. Um, and then Fisher singing in the background. And I thought, I can really imagine like Ma- Michael Bolton singing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. my mum loved him. Michael Bolton, he had similar hair to Fish back in the 80s, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. The well, dual, dual long, haircuts. A lot longer. Yeah. But can't you imagine Michael Bolton singing A Gentleman's Excuse Me? Yeah, it's very... I don't know why it wasn't a hit. It's Probably, a good song. I'll tell, no, I'll tell you why it wasn't a hit, because Michael Bolton didn't sing it. Fish That's did. it. That's it. <laughs> That's, That's yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, hmm, not sure if Fisher's voice was quite strong it's, enough to carry it off. But yeah. It, it, was, it was. It was, but like just... Mm, borderline I mean okay he hasn't got the same kind of voice as H has he no it's that's very apparent yeah he's not a technical singer no he's a writer who sings yes don't forget exactly exactly which is you know interesting then that he chose to do a song like a, a slow ballad like this which I think would how can I say this you're trying to say it politely um, yeah. We'll say it impolitely and then we'll work backwards. Okay, say it impolitely. A song like this really showcases whether your voice is strong enough or not. You can hear it. It's not a song that... It's like in some of the other songs like Fugazi that you can just attack it. Mm. doesn't matter if you've got a strong voice. No. no. A, a massive range in your voice. But a song like this, maybe because it, it is slower, mm. you can really hear the strain. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that you say that. And I think it's a valid thing to say because, as, I, as I've said elsewhere, I don't think H's voice suits Rocky stuff as well as it oh, does. Yeah, good as point. As well as it does ballady or at least kind of more atmospheric yeah. music. And likewise, I think Fish is the opposite. Yes. His voice works when he's, he's using anger and raw power and, or drama. Yes, when they're going with the flow of yeah. their own and you're say right. energy again, because I don't know, that's word of the episode. But when they're going with their own flow and kind of true to who they are, their voices sound great. Yeah, yeah. But when they're kind of going, trying on a different style that mm. isn't their natural flow, yeah. <laughs> I guess, their natural style, then it's and it's a bit more... It's not as good a fit. It's a harder listen. It's a harder listen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you're going to be brutally honest. Yeah. yeah. And I and like, gen- I like Gentleman's Excuse yeah, Me. It doesn't take away from the song's quality. It's mm. still a great song. Yeah. But can you imagine how much greater it would be with a strong voice singing it? Yeah. With H sang it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, uh, I'd love to hear H sing it. Yeah. And I'd like to hear Fish sing Hooks in You. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Yeah, but I agree. And as I said earlier, he's on this album, he's not doing the high-pitched thing that he perhaps did in the past. But I wonder if that might have suited this song better if he'd tried a bit more range. Hmm. Anyway, so it was a single. 
uh, but not a big hit. My right. sister Alison liked it. Did remember she? It's a nice song. Re- remember her saying to me, I really like Next track was a CD version bonus track. So it was the B side of. I can't remember. I can't remember which which song it was the B side of, because there, there was another B side, Jack and Jill. I can't. I think that was the B side of State of Mind. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. This is meant to be a short episode. Yeah, this isn't. isn't even meant to be a proper podcast episode. This is just meant to be an interlude yeah. with uh, a very quick rundown mm. of. What Next track, thought. The Voyeur, which you hate. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it out there now. You hate it. Yeah, I do. I like no, to I'm watch. Not, I'm not even going to deny it. Yeah, I know why you do. Why? Well, because it's, it's got that sort of uh, discordant. Sound. Yeah, oh, discordant. That's, that's it. You said it perfectly. It would fit in nicely on Fugazi. Yeah, it would. It would fit on Fugazi. Yeah, it would. And I just... <laughs> Oh no, that makes it sound like I don't like Fugazi. I love a lot of Fugazi. Yeah. But um, yeah, just slip this in after um, Emerald Lies. Yeah. I mean, I get uh, lyrically. I quite like the lyric on this. I think it's someone who lives his life through TV. Okay. And okay, all right, fine. I'll move on. No, you say more. Say no, more. I haven't got much more to say. Family business. Flip yeah. side of Punch and Judy, I think, because it's about domestic violence. Yes. And whether to act. Uh, it's another song that has that slightly folky kind of blues rocky sort of edge. Mm-hmm. Sort of mid-paced tempo wise. And this was one of the demos, like basically word for word, wasn't it? That he yeah, started yeah. with Marillion. Uh, yes. It's, uh, I can't yes, remember uh, what it used to be called. Yeah, I don't know. Family beeswax. <laughs> You can't make light of such a serious topic. I'm not. I'm making, I'm making, just being whimsical. Mind your own family beeswax. Yeah. It's. <laughs> Sorry. <okay. laughs> Imagine if he'd sung the song, family beeswax. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. It's family beeswax. <laughs> That's made you laugh a bit too much. <laughs> can, can you imagine? <laughs> Well, I knew the topic was really heavy and I wanted to just lighten it up a bit and make it a bit more accessible. The so album I was getting too heavy, word. so I wanted to put a funny song on there. Yeah, because <laughs> no one ever does that, do they, H? I just wanted to inject a bit of humour yeah. into such a serious topic, like you do with songs about AIDS. Yeah. Um, What's the funny and- song on this album, Fish? Oh, it's about um, yeah, domestic abuse. But I but I called it fa- <laughs> family beeswax to just make it a bit more <laughs> to make it a bit more accessible. I should stress, listener at home, that we're not making fun, obviously, of domestic violence. No, we're not. We're making fun of the fact that H on the season's end album classes took, took a song about AIDS. Yeah, took a song about AIDS and describes it as the fun song <laughs> on the album. God. Oh. oh. <laughs> Dear. Oh, so dear. yeah. So I think this is um 
it's a really interesting lyric because it, it's once again it's it's not personal it's a it's a lyric that's fish fish is looking outside of himself but it also shows when you compare it to something like punch and judy how much more nuanced it is than punchy yes. punchy punch the judy oh but i, I like i prefer the sound of punch and judy Do you? not oh. gonna lie I don't love family business. It's fine. I don't love family business either. It's fine. Or family beeswax. Yeah. Um, next song Yeah, is... actually, sorry. Oh. Sorry, before we move on to the next song. I wrote here, the melody is a bit dry for my taste. It's and a bit dry. here is where I think you notice the absence of the other members of Marillion. Well, it's a style that he <sighs> dabbles in quite a lot over the ensuing solo albums. There's there's more of it on Internal Exile, the next one, and then later albums as well. He goes back to it a bit. And Stephen Wilson, mm-hmm. who co-wrote one of Fish's solo albums, Sunsets on Empire, he, I, I remember a quote at the time with him saying he, he felt Fish's voice suited the bigger sort of kind of epic uh, type of, songs that Stephen Wilson was a huge Marillion fan growing up. Right. Uh, he was at one of the, uh, he was at which, was it Fish's first ever show with Marillion? I can't remember. Was he? He was, uh, um, yeah, he was, Stephen Wilson was a, was a, uh, um, some really key early Marillion show and it had a big effect on him. And that's why when he co-wrote Sunsets and Empire, he tried to make, give the music a certain degree of drama. Right. Which he felt, as he described it, the blues rock thing that Fish had been flirting with in recent years leading up to that mm-hmm. wasn't what his voice best suited. And I don't think it's a question of his voice suiting it or not. I just don't think those songs are interesting. I think that's it. Musically. Yeah, that's why I I, I said it, it seemed a bit dry. Yeah. There wasn't enough. I like the intricacies that the other band members of Marillion would bring to the mm. songs. Yes. You know, the, 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 when the keyboard tinkles and sounds like a bell or something like the that. The complexities. When, the complexity. Yeah. So maybe the song, I didn't, I don't dislike the song. It's okay. Yeah. But maybe it could have been lifted to the next level if it had a bit more musical complexity to it. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. And, well, we'll talk more about his broader solo career when we get through this the next tiny of songs. interlude of a podcast. Yeah, that wasn't going, meant to. That we're going to cover his whole solo career. <laughs> Imagine if I'd looked at the lyrics, yeah. how long this would have been. I'm trying to whiz through it. So, okay, next song, whiz. View from the Hill, gets back to the concept of this hill of um, material goods. Yep. And sorry, again, I wrote, it's okay, but it's a bit plain. There was a guitar, electric guitar solo on there. And so, like, I'm just sitting there going, oh, yeah, but it's not like the Rothers guitar song. It doesn't seem as, it's it's Could, perfectly fine, but it just doesn't seem as nuanced as as Rothers guitar solos What do you get. prefer, View from the Hill or The Last Straw? <sighs> Given you hated The Last Straw. And now you're going, oh, I miss Rothers guitar. Because I think, oh, no, I didn't I hate, think they're similar, similar sort of songs. I didn't hate Rothers guitar. You That's not what like. I didn't like about The Last Straw. Um, no, I mean, if if the the guitar on here was, wasn't as rocky, but was maybe a bit more atmospheric, I would have enjoyed it more. Mm. 
It's just personal taste, though, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what... Um, I like that there's that... I might I might prefer View from the Hill more than The Last Straw. There's that twangy kind of guitar line that opens the song. Mm. I really like that. That kind of motif. Yeah, that, yeah it's not bad. And then there's the up-tempo chorus and anyway. It's not bad. I don't love it, but it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And then... I, I do like it more than The Last Straw. Mm. Cliché, a love song. A love song. In some respects, it feels to me like an apology for Kaylee to his wife. Because he said... I've, oh, I've, really? Well, Aww. yeah, this song's begun so many times, but never in a way that you won't consider to be an old cliche. Yeah, I want to make this song special in a way that you can tell, that it's solely for you and nobody else. For my best friend, my lover, when I need help, cliche. Yeah, That's I, lovely of him to write that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like cliche. I oh, thought it do. was... Um, I like cliche. Yeah. It's, it's genuinely a sort of romantic, nice... Yeah sort of love song told from the heart and yeah it's all right nice lovely song now as i said at the time Mm. to various friends i described when comparing seasons end to vigil Mm. i used to say the highs on seasons end are higher Mm -hmm. but the lows are lower Mm -hmm. was vigil in the wilderness of mirrors was more kind of broadly good on the same level throughout Yes, and, I agree. And going back to it now, I still feel the same way about the two albums. Hmm. I'm going to say I prefer Seasons End. I prefer Seasons End broadly, yeah. Because um, but for, it doesn't mean I dislike Vigil. I like Vigil a lot. And I it, it's one of my favourite solo Fish albums. But there's more on Seasons End that I love, whereas there isn't much on Vigil that I love. There's a lot yes. that I like. Yeah. There's a lot that I think is okay on Vigil. Yeah. There's a couple of bits that, or elements of songs that I think are great. There's but there nothing isn't, on, there's no yeah. song that I absolutely love. There's nothing on, yeah, there's nothing I absolutely love on Vigil, but there's nothing I absolutely hate. Uh, uh, the voyeur oh, yeah. comes close. Yeah, even then I don't absolutely hate it. But also you've got to bear in mind it wasn't on the original version of the album that I got. So. Oh, you were lucky. Yeah. Uh, whereas Season's End, you know, I love King of Sunset Town. I love Easter. I love After Me. I love pretty much all of Season's End, except I don't love In Uninvited Guest. I don't love Holloway Girl either. Yeah, see, I didn't mind Holloway Girl. Yeah. So that was my take on them. But I still felt... Confident enough that it was a solid album, that Fish had a future. But, as history has recorded, it wasn't the smoothest ride from here on out for Fish. Mm. And after everything... Well, after everything that we've documented through the course of Misplaced Childhood and Clutching at Straws, um, Vigil, even though for the most part it seemed a lot more kind of outward-looking... Mm-hmm. Had a optimistic love song on there. It felt lighter. <laughs> it felt, it felt lighter. like a weight had been lifted from him. So here's a quote from Fish. It's a lengthy quote, and I'm not going to do my voice. Thank goodness. <laughs> my Fish voice. He said, By the time we got to January 1990, I've been sitting on the album since it had been finished in August 1989. We started the tour in the January of that year and in June, July, I was being told by the record company that it's over now. 
I felt there was a lot more ground in the album and I wanted to do a lot more with it, but we didn't get the support from the record company. What did he mean it's over now? As in, that's it, we're not giving you any more money to tour or to promote the album. Oh. That resulted in the big EMI litigation. Fish sued EMI to get out of his record contract. Did he? Yeah. And as he said, it was to prove darkly critical on his overall career. It put him in the wilderness, and I am iron- and I am ironically vigiling the wilderness of mirrors, you know. The aftermath of the album put me into my own personal wilderness where I wasn't allowed to put anything out until we resolved the litigation. Oh, get out of here. Yeah, I didn't have a studio at the time and no money to go on and make an album. So even if I made an album, how would I have got it out? Uh, he says that Vigil was a high benchmark, a great opening statement, but the follow-up that should come along did not come along. And it hasn't really come along until recent years, I think. I don't know when this quote is from. After the vigil in the wilderness situation, I realised that I was never going to allow myself to be put in a position where I was going to depend on somebody else to give me money to make an album. So I decided to go build my own studio, which he did, moving up to Haddington. Um, However, he then um, signed a deal with Polydor. (laughs) (laughs) Dedicating one of the tracks on Internal Exile to the managing director of EMI. No way. Yeah. What was a it song called? called Tongues, which was basically a new version of Assassin. Oh, dear. Talking about people who are liars and backstabbers. Oh, no. And, yeah. But fair enough, because it really does, does sound like he was left out in the cold. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you hear that and then you you, you just realise how much easier Marillion had it because at least they had each other and they had more support from yeah. their record label. I think... I'm guessing. I'm jumping ahead, maybe. I don't know. I, I Yeah, because he, he lasted two albums with Polydor, the second of which was a covers album. He did a covers album? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Fish the Poet. Yeah. Fish the Poet did a covers album? Yeah. I can't believe that. <laughs> no. Yes, called Songs from the Mirror. No. There's nothing wrong with covers, but like his whole thing is he's the writer. Yeah. Yeah, it was... That's like getting someone else to write his songs. The reason he did it was because he said he needed to take stock because Internal Exile as an album, it's a real mix of styles. I listened to it back for the first time in ages, which tells you all you need to know, in ages, because it isn't an album I go back to often. It's got a couple of really good songs on there. The title track is great. Credo's pretty good. Oh, I know Credo. Yeah. Credo's great. Yeah, um, then there's Just Good Friends, which is good, but he did. He later re-recorded it with Sam Brown for a, um, a kind of greatest hits collection, which that version's really good. But it was a mix of sort of kind of dark prog in places, um, some ballady stuff, and then that blues rock thing again, and then this completely left field Scottish anthem at the end. And then on top of that, he released a cover version, not from the covers album of um, the song, something in the air, which was like a disco version of something in the air, which was released in these elaborate box sets, which were like embossed um, with a picture of a penguin on the front. So it's like some surreal dream. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so he's, he's taking his acid again. Yeah. Oh, fish is on another acid trip. Yeah. Um, 
So, and then... Except this time we don't get misplaced childhood. We get, like, a box set with penguins on it. Embossed penguins. Yeah. And then and then a... Uh, and, and then a covers album, which he released a, an EP off the covers album called called Inexplicably, right? It, it featured the song Hold Your Head Up, right? Which is a cover by... Um, it doesn't matter. Whatever. So he released a song... Hold your head up, classic rock theme. But for some reason, he called the EP "Never Mind the Bullocks." What? <laughs> right? Why? Which, which came with a load of stickers that said "Never Mind the Bullocks" on it because he lived on a farm. I don't know. I'm not. I... So, what was going on for him at the time? What, <laughs> what led to these choices? Is this, is this when he, while he was still with Polydor? Yeah, he was still with Polydor at this point. Do you think they were encouraging him to, come on, you've just got to release something. Come on, quick, quick, do a covers album. Or, or is it... Well, I you think know, the covers album like came from him. He wasn't happy with the Polydor deal. Right, having right. signed it, he wasn't happy with the Polydor deal. I think he wanted to get something out quick. So he had like a two-album deal or something like that. So he could get out get of it there. Out, and out what's of quicker there. than covers. Yeah, however, okay. as he has since reflected upon... Release a cover album, three three albums into your solo career, it implies a degree of sort of creative bankruptcy. Well, that's why I'm shocked because that's not Fish. He is, yeah. he's so wordy. Words are his thing. Words are his weapon. Yeah. <laughs> and his art. Yeah. It's just not him. So he so he wrote Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors. Sorry, he wrote. Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors, which has a mountain of consumerism that he's halfway up, halfway down. You think he's coming down off the mountain, but no, he's just climbing back up mm. to write a covers album. And I'm not criticising him because it just shows what a difficult time he was having that he had to resort to that yeah. in order to try and get out of this deal. By the time of 2001, when he released Fellini Days, he was, in his own words, £900,000 in debt. 900000 Yeah. And all through the 90s, he was... He got out of the Polydor deal. He set up his own label, Dick Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap laugh, Sanya. <laughs> Trying not to laugh. He set up that label. He was releasing or getting a band into uh, record at his studio, which he called The Funny Farm. And then he released on the Dick Brothers label a sampler from The Funny Farm of various bands that recorded there, including Ray Wilson, who was the lead singer of Genesis after Phil Collins left. Um, one of his bands. Got to keep that Genesis connection going somehow. Yeah. And then he released Suits, um, on, which is his, his first... I guess, album as an independent artist. This was a real big step because I always remember back in, at some point, I don't remember when it was, I remember reading an interview with Fish where he described, he was asked about indie music and he was described as indie music or self-publishing as a vinyl ego trip. And he then, said that. Yeah. And then, you know, by 1993, 
1994, sorry, he's having to release his own albums because he's he's stepped away from the record label or record industry machine. Yeah. How did he finance his uh, um, independent album? I'm not totally sure. However, I mean, I think he had a... Well, put it this way, he was 900 grand in debt by the time yeah. <laughs> the, the, the 2000s so came around. To... I think there may have been a mixture of tours, advances from past albums, oh, um, okay. probably some loans going on and overdrafts. I'm only asking because um, I didn't know whether he, he did crowdfunding or if that was before the days of crowdfunding. How dare you? Well, really an invented crowdfunding. I know, but I wasn't sure if... I'm not sure of the timeline Didn't here. Exist. And whether 90, this, was, 90, this was 94. So. so this is before Meridian started crowdfunding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it, Got to um, check. It was, it was Suits was his final kind of UK top 40 album. It was um, until actually Welsh Buzz, even though that didn't chart, but would have got to number two, something like that. If what? it if that it, was it wasn't eligible because he, 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 no, it, Welsh Buzz wasn't eligible because Why? he um, put it out himself and all the sales weren't counted because they were just from his living room. <laughs> What's wrong with to... that? Well, they're not counted. I don't know why. I don't make the rules. That's a dumb rule. For me, Suits, and I remember I interviewed him at the time and I asked him if, if it was an anti-record industry album because there's stuff on there that feels... We're back once again to him not enjoying his lot in life. Uh... Yeah, there's the... There's a song Raw Meat, which um, he describes himself as just a tear in the public eye. He talks about the cognac goes down better in the hotel room. When you're staring, you're staring at the writing on the wall, condemned by the critics who want to tear me down. Oh, when no. it's just another lyric going on a song. We're low on life on the highway in search of coin, picking up the pennies for the road. Um, and okay, then, yeah, he's not loving it. And then... There's the song Lady Let It Lie, where he sings, I don't want to be me no more. There's the song Pipeline, where, as he says, I'm waiting, waiting on the lyric, waiting on the song. I know the muse is coming. I'm holding on. I'm waiting, waiting on the chances, waking on the bre- waiting on the breaks, waiting on an opportunity that I could take. I'm still waiting. And all the time I wonder why, just what or who the hell I am, where I'm at, where I'm from, where I'm going, where I belong. So it feels like, his career, he's he's singing about his career, not going the mm. way he wanted it to. Do you think he felt um, trapped in music? And would, I mean, I don't know if you even know this. Do you think he might have preferred to be doing something else career-wise? <laughs> Put it this way. I found a, a questionnaire from a really early edition of the Web Fan Club magazine the other day mm. from 1982 where he's asked his ambitions and he says to write a great novel. 1982. Yeah. And you go back through interviews with oh, Fish over the decades. But he couldn't because he was touring all the time. It's what he wanted to do. He also wanted to act, which he was doing. He was acting a lot throughout the nineties. Um, I mean, in the eighties, he, he was in a, a Jim Henson show called the ghost of Fafner Hall, where oh, he played, cool. he played the word wizard. Oh, oh that's such wizard, a perfect where, role for where him. He sings with a Muppet a cover version of Freaks. Oh, that's it. I can't write. 
Oh, I wish. I wish. I wish someone would just give me some lyrics. You called. Who are you? I am the lyric wizard and I can fulfill your wish. We shall write this song together and that's why they call me Fish. Be courageous. Release them all, all the angels and all the beasties. Let them all out. Don't think. Just sing now. I mean, he was in Taggart, the Bill, a film called Chasing the Deer. He was in a TV version of Zorro. He's done quite a lot. He, yeah, I mean, always smallish parts. He was in a thing called The Jacket, which he had a tiny role in The Jacket. Um, the most memorable thing he was in was a, a Channel 4 show called The Young Person's Guide to Being a Rock Star, where he played Derek Trout. Uh, oh, brilliant. <laughs> uh, washed up, well, washed up-ish prog rock star, which astonishingly, he kept his mullet. Yeah. But they shaved the top of his head. So <laughs> he has the hair out the sides. It's a brave move. Um, yeah, so he still acted, but he was always locked into this cycle of, of the music industry, I think. And yeah, and then when you couple that to £900,000 debt, that's not going to yeah. be easy to just break out of. I guess it's easier to keep creating albums that are guaranteed income. Yeah, well, he had to he had to sell off basically his house and move into the studio and turn that into a family home. I mean, his marriage crumbled, got engaged to Heather Finley out of Mostly Autumn, who a couple of months before the wedding called it off. He got married again and then that lasted a few months and the, that wife went down to stay with family on Boxing Day and never came back. He's had health issues, which have seen tours curtailed, He's had, he's lost money on tours. He had a hundreds of thousands stolen from him by his office manager. He it's, has not had an easy road. So if he's writing lyrics about Jesus Christ, this industry, I yeah. don't blame him. I don't blame him. I don't blame him, but like, I'm just like, oh no, go do something else. But then yeah. I understand that he couldn't. But what do you do, right, when you're... You're fish, right? When yeah. you're known as an 80s icon, mm-hmm. okay, who had some massive hits in the 80s, you were defined by that to some degree. And that is, that's how people see you. Yes, he could go and act, but there's no guarantee of the roles. Yes, he could try writing, but there's no guarantee that the book will sell. Exactly. Uh, what he has got some degree of guarantee for is that people will buy a certain number of his albums and a certain number of people will come and see him play live. Yeah. That's guaranteed, as yeah. it still is now. And a certain number of people will buy his merch. Yeah. And when you're, you've are you got a pit a pit like that of, of debt... Yeah. I mean, suddenly kind of going, no, I'm going to give it all up to become a writer yeah. without the guarantees. Was he still chasing hit singles? At that point, because you could also say you have a hit and that brings in a ton of money, like Kaylee, for example. Well, he was still and- releasing singles um, up until, I mean, not every album's had, well, actually, no, maybe they have all had singles. I mean, Welsh Mertz had singles off it or an EP. Um, 
See, yeah, but I don't, I think they're more to promote the albums rather than be seen as things to potentially be a hit in their own right. So he wasn't chasing hits. <laughs> Every album we'll do an interview where we'll kind of go, oh, this could be the big one. Okay, so maybe he was, a part of him maybe was still chasing a hit. I think so. Yeah, and I don't want it to sound like Fish was phoning it in at any point. But there's certainly times, I mean, Field of Crows and Fellini Days, there's a run of albums. I mean, the Suits I quite like as an album. Sunsets on Empire, the one that he co-wrote with Stephen Wilson, is great. Then he released an album called Rain Gods with Zippos, which is another really odd album. It's got like a 25-minute long prog epic on there, which is brilliant and probably the best thing he's ever done in my eyes. Really? But then there's also a song on there that's like a kind of rock and roll song that he co-wrote with Rick Astley. What? Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They wow. went to this. They went to this songwriters retreat where they had to like write something like three songs in a weekend, and they were paired with different people. And he got paired with Rick Astley of yeah, all people, and then used the song on the album. So it's a and get- very unlikely pairing. So that was Rain Gods with Zippos, and then then there was Fellini Days, another album that that had this concept of Fellini Days, where days that felt like they were out of a, a Fellini movie. But by that point, I mean, the, the cover, I mean, it's a Mark Wilkinson cover. I need to see it. But my God, it's such a bad cover. It's Mark Wilkinson experimenting with Photoshop. Wait, what's it, what's it called? Fellini Days. And it, it does look like he only got Photoshop that morning and finished the cover by lunchtime and had never used it before. Yeah. I like the logo. The logo's awesome. The fish logo. Yeah, I mean, the Rain Gods with Zippo's cover, have a look at that one as well, which... Oh, have you seen this version? Yeah. Darth Maul. Yeah. The Rain Gods with <laughs> Zippo's cover. Sorry. Have a look at Rain Gods with Zippo's and stop laughing, because that's pretty bad as well. No, I'm just laughing at my joke, Darth Maul. <laughs> oh, God. The Rain Gods with Zippo's is a better cover, but then there's still this awful version of the logo, which has been made to look like chrome in photoshop and it all felt a bit cheap i don't know if he didn't have the money to that's not that uh, i don't as, mind that i mean as bad. maybe if his if his face was drawn and not a photo but they're not good covers right i like his um, logo in chrome okay i don't okay we beg to differ we beg to differ no I'm too but it to feels differ. like the money wasn't there for the out of, to put into the production of the album. I mean, Field of Crows, you can look up the cover for that, where, yeah, where it's Mark that. Wilkinson doing a Vincent van Gogh thing oh, on cool. the cover. I quite like it. It's all right. I mean, it makes Fish look a bit like, um, the, what's his name out of Matrix, Morpheus out of Matrix on the cover. But it's okay. But the album feels really cheap sounding. Well, I mean... Oh, I actually quite like that. Yeah, yeah, he does look like Morpheus. It's not a bad album. There's some good That's songs. a lovely cover. Oh, you like Apart that? from... Wow. I like the background. Okay. That's beautiful. So there's some good songs on there, but again, they're... throughout his solo career, and I don't... I don't want any of this to sound like... 
I'm just shitting on him for the sake of it because it's not because I I've always looked forward to that next Fish album and wanted to love it. But in all honesty, there's a reason why this is a Marillion podcast and not a Marillion and Fish podcast. And that's because I have felt, despite the fact that there have been some some high points, undeniable high points, I have felt that Fish's solo career has not been as strong as Marillion's career going forwards. And you're saying this as someone who does still go and see Fish I still go and see Fish. I buy the albums. I support him however I can. And I have always continued to do that. But there have been points where it's just felt like he's lacked direction. And if that's understandable, because if you're in a position of crisis and, the, exactly. you know, or everything's Maslow's on, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. If everything's on fire around you, you're yeah. not going to be making rational decisions. You know? And you're not going to be at the height of your creative inspiration because you're trying to survive. No. So he's he's kind of reached out to lots of different collaborators. There have been some constants throughout, but he's worked with a lot of different people. So so there's not even been that sort of continuity of sound always. Um, he's always been consistent in his lyrics. You know, I think he's he's always written strong lyrics. I mean, there's been some slightly interesting lyrics in there as well. But Like what? Oh, don't ask me that now, because okay. I've got to look them up. All right. On top of that, he, he feels... Like he's dealing with crisis after crisis, or it's felt like that, mm. and that each of these albums has come out to put a band aid on the the previous amputation. And I don't want to say that like everything's been bad because it hasn't, but the quality has been variable to say the least. And then he's also his voice struggled for a long time because it turned out he had vocal cysts. And there was damage there from the fact that he'd been singing in those early Meridian days completely out of his natural register. He mm. should have always been singing a lot lower, but he was pushing his voice into those you know, high stratospheric places. And that buggered up his voice, along with probably the fact that he, he didn't have the healthiest lifestyle for a long time. Mm. So his voice started to struggle on some of those albums. The music was always provided by a bunch of guest musicians, you know, session musicians, effectively. And that's um, going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference because they're not, I'm sorry, however you say it, they're not going to be as invested in the music as, as Fish might be. And mm. Fish isn't a musician. He never has been. Yes, he, he coordinates those albums. Yes, he, you know, gets the final say on them and can sort of say what he wants. But regardless, he's also doing that while kind of going, shit, I've got to pay the bills. Yeah. And that's probably really at the forefront of his mind. And he's got to switch all that off. Mm. So, and that there has been, it's, he's lyrically continued to sort of document all of that. Uh, while also still writing about the outside world and various love affairs that haven't gone anywhere or have gone somewhere or whatever. So, solo wise fish he's still a great front man live uh he still excels in that area there are some fish songs that i absolutely love there's a song called goldfish and clowns that i really adore uh co-written with stephen wilson as i say i love the song plague of ghosts absolutely brilliant most of the 13th star album i think is amazing that's the album that was released was written about his love 
uh, romance with Heather Finley from Most of the Autumn, but uh, recorded and released after they split up. So that's, I think I've told you this before, about you hear his voice crack yeah. on one of the songs. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's a really good album. It's a really good album. And Mark Wilkerson's back to providing the artwork and it it's great. I wasn't a massive fan of Feast of Consequences, which came after 13 Star. That had a, a long suite called The High Wood that was probably the proggiest thing he'd done in years. Um, but I do find it a little bit hard going, I'll be honest. But it has some good songs on there. The title track on Feast of Consequences is, is pretty good. I like um, Perfume River. But by the same token, unfortunately, the album is dominated by massive prog suite which i didn't really like but and i know you didn't either because we went to see him live and you went outside while he was singing oh, and then came back in and it was still going <laughs> and then left again oh, probably yeah. shouldn't say that but that was hard going that was hard going that was the most hard going experience i've ever had in a gig mm. it was pretty tough just that one long yeah, sweet half an hour or whatever yeah grendel at eight Nope. But then this year, of course, came the long threatened final solo album because he's finally done with the music industry at a point that he's settled down and seems to have found his soulmate, as he describes he seems her. He's got his quite, garden. Yeah, he seems quite content and in a good place at the moment from the outside yeah. and from me who doesn't know him at all really not not well i don't but from what i've seen he seems to be quite yeah content is he seems him. happy he seems happy doesn't he and he's and he's, grounded he's, as he says he's got he doesn't need much anymore so he hasn't got all the debt he's got very low overheads god he managed to get out of that debt mm-hmm. <gasps> He deserves like 50 medals for that. He deserves an award. How does one do that? Yeah, well, selling off most of your Kaylee purchased house. <laughs> Good on him, though. Yeah. Uh, but he's got, he, he, he lives a sort of quite basic life, I think. And Welchmertz, even though the last few years, by his own admission, have been quite tough once again you know his dad died and his mum moved in with um he fish himself nearly died twice with sepsis you know he's had operations on his hand his back and knees are buggered so touring has now become a problem somehow within all that the domestic stability he's produced probably his best solo album mm. and welsh mercies i was listening yeah. to it. i was listening to it again yesterday and this morning it's really bloody good. It is. I've listened to it only once. I haven't listened to mm. it um, thoroughly. Yeah, it's a good album. But what he's doing on it, because his voice is sorted now because he got rid of all the nodules. But on top of that, he's singing, almost talk singing over the songs. And it fits the songs and it gives them a certain drama. And, and it fits him. It, it fits, fits his him. personality. Yeah. And there's some amazing lyrics on there. Musically, it's fantastic. It's produced amazingly. Mark Wilkinson knocked it out of the park with his artwork. And Fish has succeeded in creating what he wanted to, which was to go out on a high. I hesitate to say that that might be because some of the preceding albums weren't great. 
But this is genuinely a really good album that is up there with some of my favourite Marillion stuff. That's a great cover. Sorry, just looking up the Welsh Merch. Yeah, it's cover. a great cover. That's a great cover. Welsh words meaning a German word meaning world weariness. Well, he's earned that. He's earned that. That's why I didn't want to go through the Fish albums in chronological order because, being entirely honest, I haven't loved enough of them that I think going through them. I don't want to go through them and kind of just go, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. Because yeah. whereas I know going through Marillion's discography, I can listen to most of those albums and found, find something I love. Even on the albums that I consider the weaker Marillion albums, which of course you're always going to get those, I think there's always going to be stuff that I can find positives in. Whereas there are points in Fish's of Of Earth. Okay, you've completely lost me. Fish is earth. <laughs> Does that mean egg? Over. Earth. Body of work. Oh. In fish's body of work. Uh, fish's pond. I forgot what I was saying now. Anyway, there, yeah, we was going through fish's earth. <laughs> it was fish's egg. <clears throat> fish's body of work. There's, There's been, I hate to say it, but more kind of average or disappointing stuff than for me absolute highlights and I hate to say that because he's still a hero of mine and I still think at his best he's amazing I think he's an amazing rock front man yeah he was the soundtrack to my teenage years and I think Welchmerz is a fantastic album but you've also got you know Fellini Days and Field of Crows and stuff but I think he just, he was just, he had too much going on. He had too much to do and I don't think at the he, time. I personally don't think it's what he should have been doing. And I don't think it was entirely what he wanted to do. Yeah, maybe that's what the issue was. Yeah, but maybe he didn't. wonder know. what he's going to do. Has he said what he's going to do next? Well, he's continuing doing Fish on Fridays. Oh, he loves Fish on God, Fridays. He, he lives for that. He does live. He genuinely does seem to live Didn't for Fish on Fridays. Didn't he say he prepares for it, like preparing for a gig? Yeah, he gets his dungarees on, which is his show clothes and prints out his questions and that people are given. He, Good on him. Yeah, he and he, he, you know, he gets a still gets a lot of people watching them, so he's still got an audience out yeah. there. And he's doing that. I think he wants to write his autobiography. He wants to write screenplays. Oh, he's finally. gonna. He's finally going to. He wants to do his get garden. the pen out. Wants to I love his garden. garden. Just another shout out to his garden. Yeah, it's he, awesome. He wants, and he's earned it all. Yeah, he has. He has. He's a survivor. And that's what he does feel like. You know, he doesn't feel like someone who has just uh, glided. Glid? Glid. Glidened. (laughs) Who was just, he doesn't feel like someone who has just skated through a career in the music industry. He He, clawed his way through that career. Yeah. Through barbed wire and bombshells and Mm -hmm. the like. Yeah. And he's made it to a point where he's gone, this is the end. Good for him that he's able to do that on his terms. And I admire him for that. Yeah. Whether he sticks to it, who knows? Because now he's kind of going, oh, everyone loves my new album. (laughs) I'll do another one. (laughs) Is that what he said? No, no. But I did read a quote the other day where I kind of thought, yeah, yeah. Now now you've put out an album that everyone loves unanimously. What was the quote? I can't remember. I read it yesterday. Um but it it was something along the lines of, um, 
Yeah, well, yeah, it's my so last album, but yeah, whichever one seems to love. So, uh, mm, yeah, well, we'll see. Oh, <laughs> oh, I want him to that. write a book or something. I do. I want him to. Please don't put another album out because you have ended it on a high point. I think he he's going to do his final tour, which he said will be um, Welsh Merts and Vigil in the Wilderness and Mirrors, followed by some selected older tracks. Oh. And he hasn't ruled out going out on the road with like a small acoustic setup. Nice. But he said no pressure to something that you can just go out and do some shows for fun uh, without yeah. the whole yeah, massive machine. Yes. That, that something required. that he could, he can just easily pull together. Yeah. And just do that in his retirement. Cause I say like he's, he's earned it. He has. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I like fish. I think he's brilliant. He's yeah. just a brilliant character, a great storyteller. He's uh, a born storyteller. Yeah, and that's what he, he wants to be doing and should be doing now. And now he gets to tell his stories. Absolutely. Without having to have that pesky music over the top of it. <laughs> that's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, I'm sure. Well, yeah, the care he's taken over the Welsh Buzz lyrics is evident. Mm. The, yeah, they're real... Their their screenplays in words, which is back to his original Meridian days. Mm. That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah. Those lyrics were never just well, maybe they were, and I got it completely wrong. But it never seemed like they were just thrown down on paper. No, he's never. There ever. was always care. So next week, holidays in Eden. Yes, Meridian's second album with H. Mm-hmm. A tricky album by all accounts, for the band. Ah, oh, yeah. you're teasing so us, Mr. Rose. I'm teasing you, aren't I? Yes, yeah. you are. Yeah, it was a difficult album. Oh, say no more. And a difficult album for some fans as well. I knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've all been messaging me on Twitter and Facebook, kind of going, oh, can't wait to see what you say about Holidays in Eden. Well, you're going to have to. It's next week. So thanks for listening. Thank you very much for listening. Please go subscribe to us. Uh, thing, what? What? Sorry, something's put on a weird face. Can you just cut me saying that? I hate well, I it when I do that said. voice. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> you sound it's like your dad. Ridiculous. What was I saying? Yeah. So go go subscribe to us if you haven't already. Maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps enormously. Go check us out on Twitter at Beampod or Facebook at Beampod if you want to support the podcast you can go by my ep on bandcamp mrbiffo.bandcamp.com it's called the memento ep it's the theme music of this podcast uh if you want to support us in other ways actually i do have a i do have a patron patreon.com slash mr biffo but that's generally for our youtube channel which is very different to this podcast extremely different yeah, you know all the kind of random interlude bits that we do where we go off at tangents yeah it's basically that <laughs> it's that Without the brilliant talk. With none of the, yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.